welcome to mini episode 143 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have six spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from August the 28th, 2021. And story number one comes from Brayden. I'm very empathetic and my father is a very spiritual person. I've seen a lot of paranormal stuff and it's never really freaked me out until this event. One night I was driving home from my girlfriend at the time, Abby's house. Abby was a very beautiful woman, but she always had a very negative energy, and when you looked into her eyes, you would feel dark. I got those vibes the whole time, but I ignored them. I was driving back home, and me and her had just had a very good date. I was very happy. The energy in the car was so positive, but then my wheels started to jerk. It was weird. I looked down at the wheel, and there was nothing there. Then it did it again with more force. I was very calm and I looked in my mirror and in the back seat, I saw it. It was a black figure, all black. I could feel its energy. It was so dark. It was evil. It wanted me dead. It moved around slowly, but somehow fast in my back seat. I was still trying to drive with this figure in my back seat. Suddenly it appeared next to me. I looked over. It was all black with a faint black aura around it. I couldn't hear it, but I could feel it laughing. I was still very calm. I looked over at it. I could feel it staring at me. I pulled over and screamed, Get out of my car! And then I prayed. It left right as I told it to. I freaked out after it left the car, and the car felt very peaceful after it left. I drove as fast as I could home. I saw my dad when I got home and just went straight to bed. The next morning my dad came into my room and said, You had a demonic experience last night. And told me how he saw the same thing I saw 20 years prior when he was going to my mom's. After that I dreamed about the figure for a few weeks, just wondering what it was. A while later I was going through a bit of depression and wasn't doing too well, which is rare for me. I found it really hard to talk to anyone, but Abby sent me a text and I told her I wasn't doing well. She wanted to go for a drive. She picked me up, and as soon as I got in the car, I felt very uneasy. I felt like nothing was real, and whoever was next to me wasn't a good person. But I ignored it. We ended up in a parking lot and talked for about an hour. The conversation got very deep, and I really picked her brain and just felt dark. She said, do you feel like we're being watched? I told her that I had felt that for some time because in the back seat of the car, the whole ride, I could see a shadow of a figure. She kept on talking and as I looked at her, her face seemed to look more pale. I looked into her eyes and they were black. Then I blinked and it was gone. Whatever that thing is was attached to her and it was so evil. She asked again if I felt like I was being watched and I said yes because there was a figure in the back seat and she told me to stop trying to scare her. Then she dropped me off after that and I had a dream about the figure again. As I woke up that afternoon I got a Snapchat memory from one year ago and I realised it was a year to the day since I had first seen that figure. Well that story has just unlocked a core fear of mine which is when you're driving at night time and you suddenly think of all the horror films where you've looked up 
into the rearview mirror and seen somebody sitting in the back seat. I can't tell you the amount of times I've been driving home, had that thought and then been shitting myself the entire way home. I remember driving home one night after watching some alien film and being absolutely petrified that there was going to be something in the back of the car. And honestly, the fear was just all consuming. So I think that if it actually happened to me as it did with Brayden in this story, I don't think I'd ever get in a car again. No way. And story number two comes from Nolins. In 1995, I was 12 years old. My mom, stepdad, stepbrother and his wife were all at our nutrition store. That left me and my little brother and sister home with our dog, Bo. We were in our parents' room cleaning up making room for the new bedroom set. Everything was going fine, and out of the blue, Bo starts growling. Bo was a Great Dane, and they are not small at all and extremely protective of us. The room door was closed, and he started to growl harder, showing his teeth. I asked what was wrong, knowing that he couldn't answer me. All of a sudden, I hear me and my siblings called from the living room in my stepdad's voice. I mean exactly like him. Naturally, being the eldest, I said, Coming! and went to open the door. Bo snatched my shirt and pulled me back from the door. The phone rang, so I answer, and it was my stepdad, calling from our nutrition store, asking what we wanted to eat for dinner. I asked him, was everybody at the store? And he said yes, as I heard them in the background talking and laughing. In 2010, I'd just made it back to base for my second deployment to Kuwait while I was in the United States Marine Corps. My room wasn't ready, so I stayed in the empty barracks rooms. These barracks are old as hell, and so it's got your usual creepy sounds. Within a few minutes, I was out like a light. I've been through sleep paralysis a few times, but this was on a whole other level. I'm not a person that scares easily. But that feeling you get when you think someone or something is watching you that was so strong that it made my hair stand up and I am bald. I heard the rack next to me move a little. Then the bed started to sink on one side like someone was sat down next to me. It felt like someone was pressing down on my back and I couldn't move. The pressure got heavier. Then it was harder to breathe. I heard these whispers in my ear saying my name and they were getting sinister. I started praying and it got harder to breathe. I started praying in my mind like I was screaming it and the pressure let up more and more. I opened my eyes and I could see a dark shadow with yellow eyes slowly walking to my door. It continued to stare at me as it walked through the still closed, heavy metal, still locked door. These stories of hearing your siblings or your mum or your partner or a family member hearing their voice calling to you And then realising that it's not them, that they're not in the house, gives me such heebie-jeebies. I know we've talked about it countless times in the podcast because we've had numerous stories all outlining the same thing. But I want to know why this happens. I want somebody's expert opinion to tell me what this is or how this happens or what it might be. And you know what I think the nice thing about this is, if there can be a nice thing about it, is that before doing the podcast, I would have thought that people didn't really have those experiences, like it was something that was reserved for horror movies. 
But now having heard so many people send in similar stories, it must be nice for people who have actually experienced it to go, oh, it's not just me. Actually, other people have experienced this. And story number three comes from Meg. My mother is a second generation American from an Irish Italian Catholic background and has prophetic dreams sometimes that she passed on to me. She is a believer. She is married to my, as he calls himself, all-American mutt Protestant father, who doesn't believe in all ghost stories, but does believe that demons and other things exist. But belief in God stops them from harming you. I am their disobedient Wiccan daughter who is married to an agnostic sceptic. I personally only believe 20% of the stories out there, and 80% are either made up or I can logic them away. My husband goes even further and says only 5% is real and 95% is made up. My mother told me that when we lived in the house I spent my first 12 years in, there was a shadow man who was desperately trying to get into our house. My mom said it was her faith that kept him out, and I'm inclined to believe her, as I think all faiths have power. She didn't like talking about him, so that's all I have about that one. My childhood home was built in the 70s. Back then, it was the cool thing to have a breakfast bar window in the kitchen to look out onto the living room. My mother was a clean freak, and would clean rather than play with my older brother and I. I had a spot on our giant 90s entertainment centre where I always put my drink. My mother looked up from the dishes to see what she thought was me taking a drink from my cup. She scowled and yelled my name and said, I thought I told you to brush your teeth and get ready for bed. I remember this, as I was a confused four-year-old who was brushing my teeth when I heard my mom yelling. I walked out with my toothbrush and toothpaste foam still around my mouth and I said, I am mom, and stormed back to finish getting ready. I slept in a room with my brother when I was a toddler until about eight years old. I couldn't sleep in my room because I always felt like someone was watching me. My mother told me that when I was around two or three years old, I would have conversations with the air, but I was not responding to my own questions. I would pause and wait for a reply and then keep the conversation going. When I was eight, my parents forced me to sleep in my room. I got about 12 hours sleep that year in total, or what felt like that. I was afraid. My pets didn't want to be in my room with me. When I had to get something from my room at night, I would run as fast as I could, always feeling like another kid was behind me. One night, I was trying to sleep in my room. I got up to get water, and then I heard footsteps behind me. I ignored it. I got my drink and began to run back to my room. And then I heard, Wait, wait for me, in a small girl's voice, like a younger sibling desperately trying to keep up with their older one. My ninth birthday was the next month, and I told my mother what happened, and she agreed that I was fine to sleep out in the living room. I slept on the couch from 9 to 12 when we lost the house. We got into a rental, and the first night in our new rental home, I fell asleep in my room and never felt eyes on me again. I worked for a preschool briefly. It was the same preschool my mom worked at for years, and my dad did a lot of their small maintenance work, as my dad is a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. The school had a church, an admin building, 
A building for the three and four-year-olds to learn and play and separate from them was the building I worked in, with the one and two-year-olds. Now the one-year-old room was elevated and between the classrooms was our break room, where we stored toys, art supplies, cleaning supplies and our lunches. And down little steps was the two-year-old room. Now from the one-year-old room you could look down the doors and into the two-year-old room. I was preparing for my wedding and wanted extra cash, so I took to cleaning the school when the kids left. It was creepy, but me being me, I just rolled with it. I cleaned the three and four-year-old rooms first and then moved on to the one-year-old room. When the kids left, we left the break room doors open to make it easier for us to haul the cleaning supplies from room to room. I felt someone was watching me from the two-year-old room. I took my earpiece out and asked if it was Susan, the admin worker. She sometimes stayed late to make newsletters, signs, handouts for parents and had keys to go into the locked rooms and leave them for us the next morning. There was no answer. I looked out the window to see an empty parking lot. Okay, it must have just been my imagination then. I put my headphones back in and scrubbed the tiny toilets. Once I was done, I meandered down into the two-year-old classroom where I worked during the daytime. I saw toys on the floor. Not unusual, although I tidied up before going outside with the kids for pickup time. The parents usually brought their kids back in to grab their backpacks and let their kids play with the toys and didn't always ask their kids to pick them back up. Rude, but that's life. I picked up the stuffies and put them in their basket and plugged in the vacuum, and I picked up the toy cars. I vacuumed, and I looked to see the same toys all back down again. Weird, I must have knocked them back down at my vacuum cord. I picked them up and headed to clean the tiny toilets in this room. And that's when I heard a knock on the door. I pulled my headphones out and went to the door. This was normal. Sometimes in the evenings on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the church has a Spanish class or a Bible study. Usually the little old church ladies were scared to go in the dark parking lot or they needed me to get on the ladder and get something from the cabinets in the multipurpose rooms. I never minded it. But there was no one at the door. I stepped out to look down the stretch of cement leading from the four-year-old room to the church. And there was no one. And the lights were not on. And that's when I realised it was Friday, not Thursday, so no one was in the church. I took the shift from my co-worker because she wanted to go on a date. I was a little creeped out now, so I left my headphones off and finished cleaning. But only I didn't. While I was kneeling to clean the last tiny toilet, I felt someone tug on the hem of my shirt. I'm used to this as I am a preschool teacher. I answered like I always did. I will hear you in a second, sweetheart. I need to finish this first. And then I froze. There were no kids. I was alone. I noped out. I grabbed the cleaning supplies and left ASAP. The co-worker I took the shift from opened the following Monday. I was ready to hear her ask why I didn't mop the floor or clean the mirror, but she didn't. So to be honest, I told her I let myself get spooked and didn't finish cleaning and apologised. She simply said to me, Hey, it's okay, the ghost creeps me out too, so I don't always finish cleaning. I never mentioned the ghost. 
I played it off as a high schooler from the high school behind us must have been pranking me. The next weekend I was at my parents' house. My mom left the room with my husband to ask about something on her computer. I casually asked my dad if homeless people or high schoolers play pranks on him at school when he's fixing things late at night. He was quiet for a minute and then said, No, no high schoolers or homeless people, just the ghost. He took a sip of his black coffee because he's a psychopath that drinks it black and then he said, It's a child and just like a child I tell it that I'm busy and it must play by itself. That was all the confirmation that I needed. My dad almost never chokes things up to ghosts or the supernatural. He logics things away and his belief in demons is more of the evil deeds of man. That is the only story that stands out from my adult life. Since I am a healer, a white witch, a good witch, whatever you want to call me, ghosts, cryptids and other things do not pay me mind. Once in a while I will feel something in the house and I use rosemary and garden sage to cleanse the house. I sometimes have to chase them down and shoo them away, but I have enough protection spells that most don't bother. My daughter just turned two and she doesn't seem to have had any experiences yet. With my early childhood education background, I know why some parents think their kid is talking to or seeing ghosts, but most of the time it's natural development of a child. They need to practice speaking and walking and other skills they learn and they want to do it by themselves and the only time they're really by themselves is in their cribs or in bed. That's such a good point about children having imaginary friends. Like I'm not, I my, my background is not in early childhood development or the psychology of early childhood and I also don't have any children so I can't comment on the development of children, you know. But I, I'd imagine that in some cases it probably is just kids practicing their speech in the way that they know how to do it or kids being imaginative and it's probably really creepy because kids are as we've established over the last three years kids are creepy it's nice to know though that in the afterlife ghost kids are at least consistent with kids you know that are alive in that they have no sense of personal space coming up tugging your sleeve demanding attention all that kind of jazz that school sounds creepy as and there is something very creepy about schools at night time anyway, I've always said that, where when somewhere is so bustling with life during the day, at night time it automatically feels really creepy, whether it's old, whether it's new, whether there are ghosts or no ghosts. And I just think that this building in itself must hold loads and loads and loads of history and stories and clearly the ghost of a child. And story number four comes from Crystal. Firstly, I recall at one point someone suggesting that there is a correlation between adolescence and paranormal happenings, particularly for girls. I believe this to be true from my own experiences. The first unexplainable event I can recall happening is when I was around 9 or 10 years old. My parents had just divorced, and to be frank, it was a traumatic experience for myself and my brother. Our parents had an equal custody agreement so we would spend 50% of our time with each parent. On this night, we were staying at our dad's house. I was getting ready for bed in my room. I changed into my pyjamas and was about to head to the bathroom to brush my teeth. My bedroom was at the very end of the hallway. If you walked up the stairs and kept going straight, you would end up in my bedroom. 
I opened the door and looked into the hallway to see the light turning on and off repeatedly. This did not look like an electrical fault. It was as if someone was switching the light on and off very deliberately. I jumped back into my room and onto my bed and remember screaming for my dad or my brother. Maybe one of them was playing a trick on me and hiding around the corner while flipping the switch. Despite my screams, no one responded. I sat there terrified for what felt like forever, but was probably only a couple of minutes. Finally, my dad and brother came upstairs and saw that I was scared and asked what was going on. I told them the light was switching on and off and that I had screamed for them, but neither of them had heard a thing. Our house was not very soundproofed and it was easy to hear conversations from other parts of the house, so the fact that neither of them could hear me screaming was incredibly unusual and I still don't have an explanation for it. My second story is a bit more humorous, but I still have no explanation. Perhaps another listener may have some insight. This time I was around 18 to 19 years old. I was living with my parents as I was attending the local college and they were willing to let me live there rent-free so I could pay off my student loans. Ever since getting a cell phone, I've used it as an alarm clock. One morning, I woke to the sound of buzzing that wouldn't stop. I reached for my phone to turn my alarm off, only to see that my alarm hadn't actually gone off yet, and it wasn't my phone that was buzzing. Still half asleep, I was trying to figure out the source of the noise. I figured out it was coming from my nightstand, right beside my bed. I opened the drawer to find that my vibrator had been turned on and was buzzing away, quite loudly I might add. I tried to turn it off but couldn't get it, so eventually I just opened it up and removed the batteries. That did the trick. I have no idea how that even could have happened. My family is very respectful of privacy and don't go into each other's spaces without permission so I can't see either my dad or my brother coming into my room while I was sleeping to turn on my vibrator and put it back in the drawer to run out again. Even if someone had come into my room, there's no way they could have moved out that fast without me hearing them close my door or their footsteps as they walked away. I still have no idea what could have caused this, and maybe there's a non-paranormal explanation I'm not aware of, but maybe ghosts need some self-love too. This story made me laugh out loud. And I really thought, I don't know why I thought this, but I really thought that in the bit where you said I tried to turn it off but couldn't get it, so eventually I just opened it up and removed the batteries. In my head, I saw that sentence as, so eventually I just opened the window and flung it out. (laughs) Which is a wild overreaction, but you know. And in a world where people believe in incubi and succubi, why not have ghosts that need a bit of self-love? Although I would, you know, I would be very annoyed at the hygiene implications of a ghost using somebody else's vibrator. And story number five comes from William. When I was very young, around three or four, I had an imaginary friend called William. I imagined he looked exactly like me, but he always wore a brown suit and he was about five or six. His outfit resembled suits worn by young boys in the Victorian era or in the early 1900s. As I got older, I eventually stopped seeing William, because obviously you grow up. Imaginary friends are replaced by real ones. However, when I was 14, I was wandering around my room one day, sorting through some stuff, as my room was a tip. When I saw a young boy out of the corner of my eye, 
with blonde hair and a brown suit, standing next to the left of my bed at a door that led to a wee storage area. I was a bit freaked out but didn't think much of it until a few weeks later. I began to suffer from repeated sleep paralysis and it was always the same. I would wake up unable to move and at the foot of my bed stood a tall old woman in a black dress with grey hair, arms outstretched as if about to grab me and I would shit myself every time I was able to move again until suddenly it stopped. I was suddenly able to start sleeping again peacefully and have been able to since. However, a couple of days after the encounters with the crazy chick in the black dress, I saw William again. This time he was sitting on my bed right beside my pillow. I was a bit freaked out now as this happened within a few weeks and eventually went to my mum and mentioned seeing a boy in a brown suit. Her face was white and she asked if the suit looked like it was from the Victorian era. I told her that it did and she explained that when she was pregnant she had a dream where a young boy matching William's description came up to her and asked her to be his mum. After the dream my mum told my granny. My granny didn't know anything about it but my granddad did. He said he had a brother named William who died at the age of six back in the 1920s of a cancer in the neck and was buried in a brown suit similar to the description that I gave. I'm still not sure if he was real since I haven't seen him since. I love it when an episode inadvertently ends up having a theme. And the theme of this episode seems to be imaginary children. And like, as we said previously, there's obviously a stage of development with children where they do start to explore their own imaginations and talk to themselves and enact situations and scenarios. And in this case, you wouldn't think anything of your child having an imaginary friend until they got older and saw them again and then realised that their imaginary friend potentially was a great uncle. I loved this story for the initial simplicity of it. Boy having an imaginary friend and then that imaginary friend turns out to be a little less imaginary than previously thought. I love it. And story number six comes from Selin and Finn. I've never been afraid of the dark. Having grown up in the chaparral and oak forests of Northern California. When I was a child, the Gold Rush era hills were still lonely and houses stood far apart on dirt roads. Electricity was spotty and plumbing poor, so using hurricane lamps, candles or mere moonlight to navigate the house was common in the early 1980s. Relics of the 1849 Gold Rush remained, Wagon roads swallowed up by grasses, an abundance of square nails, and speculation claims fading into hillsides. As I grew older, I would go for night walks by myself down remote dirt roads. One mild spring morning when I was 13 years old, my sister Beth and I walked to the bus stop. Our neighbour's dog, Wilbur, began following us. He was a friend, waiting for us in our driveway and sometimes bringing us his gently chewed stuffies or beef bones. He lounged on our deck as much as he lounged on his own. Wilbur was a large dog, his short tan fur, sharp triangle ears and eyes ringed with black gave him a fierce appearance, but with us girls he was as gentle as a moth. He had been named Wilbur for the curl of his tail, 
his owners had been reminded of the pig from Charlotte's Web. Wilbur wagged it as he followed us that May morning, in spite of our telling him to go home. But he ignored the commands and followed us all the way to the end of the road, where the bus would take us to our school. As Beth and I stood at the bus stop and talked with friends, Wilbur began trotting up the main road. I called for him to come back. He began to turn, but he walked right into the path of a speeding pickup truck and was hit hard. My sister and I could hear his last howl of pain before he lay his head on the ground, shuddered and died. My sister and I were shattered and grief-stricken. It took a long time for the nightmares to stop and for the pain of losing our friend to lessen. It still has never fully gone away, though Wilbur died nearly 30 years ago. One summer later, late July, and I was out for a night walk with our dog Sally, dreamy over a boy and watching stars glitter in the dark sky, I talked to Sally as she ambled along beside me. Her silky fur gleamed white with dark patches, looking very much like the waning moon. Blackberry bushes and live oaks silhouetted black on black, full of shadows. I could smell honeysuckle on the wind and oak leaf duff, still hot from the day. As I turned up my home road, I was ready to rest and draw in my sketchbook. With the porch light gleaming between the oaks, I followed Sally up our long driveway. A white cat lay underneath the blackberry bushes at the fork where Wilbur's family had lived. Sally took off all of a sudden. I assumed she was going after the white cat, but she zoomed right past it with her tail tucked. Thanks for ditching me, I thought, and looked with curiosity at the white blur of someone's house cat lying in the dark. The animal rose, and I saw that it was not a cat, but the size of a dog. I stopped short, uneasy because I knew no white dogs. Sally's bolting made sense now. This was an unfamiliar animal, and I didn't know its intentions. I started walking ahead slowly, mouth dry and acutely aware of the grit of gravel under my feet. Though I could not see the dog clearly in the dark, I could tell that its tail was up and wagging in a way that indicated friendliness rather than aggression. The dog trotted forward, diagonally across my path, and I weighed my options. If this dog was friendly, great, I'd pet it and move on. If it was aggressive, I would back away and try to climb a tree. But then I noticed the dog's shape and colour. It was not white at all, but a faded tan and black, as if it were a photograph that had been left to bleach in the sun. I froze not frightened but deeply unnerved. The world shifted slantways and my ears popped. Wilbur. This was Wilbur trotting in front of me and wagging his tail as he had in life. He had often waited for me and Beth to get home from school at this very spot. But this was also not Wilbur. I could see through his middle, the curve of his ribs and coil of his intestines and pulse of heart visible. Only his head, legs, croup and tail were completely opaque. He made eye contact with me, mouth opening, panting in the way happy dogs do. I met his eyes and heard my own voice in my head. Run. 
I ran straight through Wilbur because a part of me knew that he was not there. It felt as though I had been slapped with a wall of ice water and I made it to the house, wheezing, coughing and crying. I opened the door and collapsed in a heap on the carpet. It took my mother half an hour to calm me down enough to explain what was wrong. An hour later I was in my room scribbling out what had happened onto a yellow legal pad and trying to make sense of it all. What had been on my mind before the white dog was not ghosts, but the stars and a handsome hazel-eyed boy. And then this ghost dog, this incomplete version of Wilbur, it did not make sense. I'm inclined to scepticism and the scientific process. As a child, I idolised Mr Spock. And though I had experienced odd happenings before, none were this clear. I had not been asleep. This was not a dream or sleep paralysis. I had been awake, upright, and the dog had been visible. This was not a sound or a suggestion of a shadow. There had been a visible dog that looked like my friend Wilbur. Which was impossible. Right? Baffled, I lay awake for hours afterwards. Glad that there was no school because sleep didn't come until towards dawn. Two or three weeks later, our neighbours from down the road left a pink circular in our mailbox. Their 4H dairy goats had been mauled and killed by a mountain lion, which appeared to be following the nearby creek. A blurry photograph of the lion had been printed on the page. It had been taken five houses down from ours. The circular suggested that parents meet their children at the bus stop and that farm animals be taken into paddocks. Game and fish had been notified and the area was under surveillance. My mother said that I was not allowed to go on my nightly walks until the line was culled or moved on and I wholeheartedly agreed. Later that night, as I watched the stars from my window, I wondered if the Wilbur ghost had been my friend coming back to watch out for me because of the mountain lion. Or perhaps Wilbur had been a manifestation of my own instincts, telling me that I was in danger. Either way, I'm grateful for my friend. I still love you, Wilbur. Good boy. I'm going to say guardian dog angel from the off, because that's what I want to think about this story. I think there must have been so much deep pain and trauma caused by witnessing Wilbur being hit by a pickup truck. Like, that must have been horrendous and caused a lot of distress both at the time and afterwards and I do wonder if it was Wilbur coming back to look after you but I I am not impressed with Wilbur coming back see-through in the middle so that you could see his insides because that is not that's not I think what anybody wants to see guardian angel or no guardian angel so yes I agree that Wilbur is a good boy and was probably coming back to warn you and protect you but I think that Wilbur could do with some work on his presentation, to be honest. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Brayden, Nolans, Meg, Crystal, William and Selin and Finn for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came from August the 28th, 2021. And if you would like to know anything about Real Life Ghost Stories podcast, you can do so by checking out the website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. If you would really like some more content, or you just want to support the show, you can do so by signing up to Patreon for $5 or for $2 a month. That is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Bye.